Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is where we will uh, begin this morning and where we'll dwell for a couple months. <clears throat> Matthew 6, I'm going to read the first 13 verses here. Uh, we'll hone in on uh, verses 9 through 13 over the next couple months, but I want to give us at least some context to this passage. Matthew 6, let's start in verse number 1. These are, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse number 1, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. Alms is giving to the poor. To be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy right hand know what thy uh, left hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. But verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Verse number 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to stop for just a moment and pray and invite the Lord to speak to us this morning. And uh, Brittany's going to sing, and then we'll dive into this new sermon series here, The Model. Honestly, I'm really excited about this passage of Scripture and the sermon series. And I've been getting all geeked up about it for uh, a period of, of weeks and even months now and, and reading and preparing and there's probably, I don't know, 12 to 15 different books that I'm working through all of them or a portion of them and trying to grow myself and uh, my wife just taught a series on or a 45 minute segment on prayer during ladies conference last week if you were uh, there and she's been reading some books and I've been reading them with her and so um, I'm, I'm super excited about it. <clears throat> At the same time, I have never in my entire life approached a topic or a series that I'm to teach and preach on and felt more inadequate than I feel right now in this moment. And that's for a couple reasons. So reason number one is, who in here would say, man, I feel like my prayer life could use an upgrade? Right? That's, I don't, I mean, literally I could just be like, hey, series on prayer, invitation, hit it. And we all just, you know, we're all like, we're guilty. We need it. Like we're, we're, we're struggling. That's, that's all of us. That's me. Okay. I'm included in that. If that's not you, then just come on up here, tag team me. I'll let you wrap this thing up and you can just finish it off and I'll sit down and listen to you because I am with you. Okay. I'm in the boat of my prayer life needs an upgrade. I haven't figured this out fully yet. Sometimes this is difficult and I'm toiling and it feels dutiful or, or I didn't, man, I, I didn't pray like I should have today and, and I'm there. Okay. I'm along with you. So that makes it really difficult because I am not a self-proclaimed expert. I'll, I'll tell you up front. I'm not. It's also difficult because we, 
We all feel this need, honestly, that we should pray more and we should do better there. It's a spiritual discipline that I should hone in on. And the goal of this series really is to drive you deeper into prayer and that you would pray more and that you would understand it more and that our church would pray more. That's, that's the goal. It really is. But I can't guilt you into doing that. I, I mean, I can do that. It would be really easy for me to do that. But it would be really unhealthy and unwise for me to do that. So I have this, this line I have to walk where I want to provoke you to good works and I want to provoke myself to good works and I want us to grow. But at the same time, I can't guilt trip you. And if there's any topic where I could guilt trip you really easily, this is the one. I mean, I, I could do that in a heartbeat. And if, if I wanted to guilt you into it, I mean, today I could do it. And you would go home and you'd sit down for dinner with the family and they'd, you know, hey, will you say grace or you pray for the meal? And, you know, 10 minutes later, you're just still going. Why? Because Pastor Mark guilted you and I need to pray more. And you're just going. And, and they're all, of course, sitting there like, wrap it up, buddy. Like, don't ever call an Uncle Joe to pray for the food again. Why? Because you're, you know, you leave out of here with this guilty feeling of I must pray more. And then you lay in bed at night and you'll be rattling off prayers, one after the other, after the other, all night long. Rattling, you'll fall asleep praying. But six months from now, it'll be gone. Guilt is, it's great in the short term, it's really effective, but long term, it's extremely unhealthy and it doesn't work. So I have to, without being an expert on this, walk a line of trying to encourage you and us to grow in prayer, but at the same time not guilting you into praying more and understanding that our, our prayer lives are like this, okay? There's a cycle that we go through. There, we want to be in desire, that's where we want to live is I have desire to pray and I'm, I'm craving it and I want to do it. But then there's also duty. And really we, we many times live right in between there. That desire and duty go hand in hand sometimes. But if we're not careful, that duty will begin to deteriorate. And that I didn't even mean to add an extra D in there. But it'll deteriorate into this just empty display that's shallow. And then before you know it, it's, it's dead as a door now. And your prayer life is non-existent. And if I guilt you, I completely skip over desire and just go straight to duty. And that is entirely ineffective. So how, how, I've asked myself this question for the past two months. How am I, how am I even going to do this? How, how are we going to grow together? How are we going to learn and become people in a church of prayer and, and walk through this passage? So here is, and, and all this is going to be introduction this morning. Really, today and next week we'll piece together as, as one big sermon. I just don't have enough time to do it all today. But how do, I, how do I do this? So I'm going to tell you up front just kind of what's going on in the back of my mind and, and in the background, this, the approach that I'm going to take and why I think it's a biblical, sensible approach for us to take as we approach a topic of prayer. So here's going to be my approach and my goal for us to, to all grow in. And, and first is this. We have to be able through this series to see God clearly for who he is. So that's the key, really, biblically, to, to circumventing the guilt and going straight to duty and actually attaching our prayer lives to desire is you have to see God and understand who he is. We'll find out today that Jesus does a measure of this straight out of the gate in Matthew 6 with his audience is that he's trying to shape their view of God clearly because they have a distorted picture of him. And, and biblically, when you look at some people in the Bible that really struggled with their prayer lives. They were trying, and they were praying, but they were just struggling. What makes the difference for them, if you look at a Job or you look at a Habakkuk, what makes the difference for them 
is that they see God for who he is, and he becomes both more beautiful and more terrible all at the same time. And both of those drive them into the presence of the Lord in a beautiful way, and their prayer lives become profound as they begin to understand who God is. And I've, I feel like I've beat this drum probably a lot over this past six months, but this is so imperative for us to understand that if we're just doing it out of duty without a clear picture of who the Lord is, then, then it's, our prayer lives will be short-circuited. So I'll give you a couple examples. Job is one that Job has a lot of prayer in that book. He goes back and forth with God, and he complains some, and he vents some, and he fails to understand some. And you get to the very end of Job, and God spends a couple chapters with this journey with Job in 38, 39, 40, just taking him and telling him, Job, here's who I am, and I want you to see me clearly. And the result of that, when Job comes out of seeing God beautifully for who he is, is that all of a sudden his prayer life explodes in, in confession and in rejoicing. And he has these moments. If you look at Job 42, the very end of the book, and don't look at there now, just in your own time. If you look at verses uh, 1 through 6 and you see what happens as Job gets a clear picture of God, his prayer life goes to a whole other level. And as Job began to see God in a fuller capacity, then he moves into this heart of praise and, and a true prayer life, and he's able to break through and finally face his struggles with seeing God more clearly. Habakkuk is another one. Habakkuk starts his book. This is Habakkuk 1, verses 1 and 2. This is a strange way to start a book of the Bible, okay? I'll just be up front with you. It is. But this is how Habakkuk starts his book, Habakkuk 1, verses 1 and 2. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So here's my burden. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Now, that's, that's a great introduction. Like, hey, I'm Habakkuk, I'm praying to God, and there's a roof on my prayers. He is, I do not feel like he's hear, hearing me. It's just ceiling, ceiling, just bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. I'm not getting through. That's how he introduces his book. Now, you get to the end of Habakkuk, and you, and you hear Habakkuk now begin to pray, Oh, Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. Like, now we're, we're communicating God. Uh, he gets to... Uh, Verses number 18 and 19 at the very end of the chapter. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places. Now that's a pretty cool prayer life right there. But that's a spot where I'd like to be. So what took a Habakkuk from God, you don't even hear me, to I rejoice in God, and, and I'm communing with him, and he's, he's doing this for me. What was the difference? The difference was in between chapters 1 and 3 that God reveals himself to Habakkuk clearly, and Habakkuk gets this clear picture of God, and it changes everything. And Habakkuk, honestly, his cruddy circumstances remained ultra-cruddy. They didn't change at all in the whole book. He just saw God for who he was. So I have to ensure, and we have to ensure that as we're approaching this series that there's, a, there's constantly this measure of here's who God is and here's what he's like and, here's, and to see him biblically for who he is. And that really is, will be the key to our prayer lives. The, the power of our prayers is not going to lie in, in, our, in our repetition or in our, our, our wisdom or understanding, our finesse. It's, it's going to rely in our knowledge of God and it's ultra dependent upon that. So that's one, and coupled with that is also this, that we must learn, and, and I feel like it's my job to take the Bible and help us learn to pray biblically. So 
most all of us in this room have probably prayed at some time in our lives, probably today. But that doesn't mean that we're praying biblically necessarily. There's a lot of different, we all have a lot of different church backgrounds and, and prayers. And um, there's some in this room that my prayer life is, is just, I just praise the Lord all the time and it's wonderful and it's awesome. There's some that my prayer life is, you know, dear Jesus, here's my request in your name, amen. There's some that are, well, I'm the, I'm the, you ever heard the ACTS model, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, uh, Supplication. There's all kinds of different ways, but the bottom line is we should look at the Bible and what the Bible has to say, and we must learn that what prayer is biblically, that it's more than just memorizing a few verses from Matthew, it's, it's more than just this acrostic, that uh, there's, we should have a heart of, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, I want to learn, I want to grow, and, and Lord willing, we will. Lastly, coupled with that is, part of this is, we can't just talk about it, we do have to do it. I don't want to guilt you into it, but we do have to do it. I can stand up here and, and preach and talk about prayer, and we can have a desire all we want, but at the end of the day, we're just, we're going to have to pray. We have to put it into action, and I'm going to do my best over the next couple months to give you, the church family, opportunities to pray. So here's a couple ways that we'll flesh that out practically. The next couple months, when we get to the end of the sermon, and it's going to be about prayer and our, and our prayer lives, that I'll give you five minutes at the end of the sermon to pray. You say, that's going to be like five minutes? Because five minutes is not a long time, but when no one's up here talking and you're just sitting out there, five minutes is a really long time, okay? It's a real long time. You say, man, will that, be, will that be awkward? Will that be weird? Are we allowed to do that? Can we just sit here while the piano plays a little bit and take five minutes to pray? Sure we can. And honestly, we need to. We, we need to grow. And Well, what about, what if there's a, a visitor here and they don't know? You know what? At, at the end of the day, I'm concerned in this series about you and developing a prayer life in you. That's, that's, that's my goal. Sunday nights, if it's not your habit to come on Sunday nights, there are a couple hundred that, that do come on Sunday nights. And that is, we've gone over the past couple months, we begin to grow in prayer. We'll continue to. I would encourage you, if you want to invest here, to maybe do two-a-days, to do Sunday morning and Sunday night. And Sunday nights, we'll pray together corporately for 20 to 30 minutes every Sunday night. And we'll take 10 minutes and pray, and then we'll uh, stop and, and take a breather, and then we'll take 10 more minutes and pray. And we'll, we've been doing that, and we'll continue to do that. So part of this is this, that we have to do it. We have to develop the habit. We have to learn what it is biblically. We have to see God clearly. But then part of it is we just have to flesh it out and stop talking about it and actually apply it. So with that as a foundation of how, what my goal is and how I'm trying to approach this series to, to, for us to learn and grow and go deeper, but at the same time, me not guilt you into it, I want us to jump into Matthew 6 and to understand the context and a little bit of what Jesus is saying here. So uh, we're not even going to get to our Father. I thought that maybe I'd be able to cover the word our this morning, but I'm not even going to be able to get to that. That'll be next week. We'll do our Father with chart in heaven. We're going to... Uh, learn a little bit of the context, and this is vitally important. You can't just jump to the prayer without understanding what Jesus just told everybody. They, they piece together. It's one big flowing conversation. So let's understand the context, get a little bit of a biblical foundation before we get to the actual model prayer. So contextually, 
Here's a couple things. How many of you actually have a red letter Bible? How many of you have a red letter edition Bible? Okay. So a lot of us actually, okay? If you don't know what a red letter Bible is, it means that when Jesus is speaking, the text is actually in red instead of black, and it's a study tool to, to help you. If you were to look at Matthew, you would find that at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3, starts red letters. And those red letters through Matthew 5 go all the way through the chapter for 48 verses. It's red, 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 red. If you get to chapter 6, it just keeps on going red, 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 red for, tw- for 34 verses. Then if you get to chapter 7, it just keeps going even longer. There's more red, and you finally get to the end of chapter 7, and it breaks from the red. What's that mean? It means that Jesus is giving a long dialogue. We would call this the Sermon on the Mount. We've divided it into chapters but it's all one big conversation. From the beginning of five to the end of seven is one conversation that Jesus is having with his audience. And he gets to the end of chapter seven and he says these words. Basically, he says, look, what I just told you from five to seven, what I just told you, if you do that, you're wise, your life will be sure, and you will be weatherproof. If you do not do that, I'm gonna think you're a fool. And your, and your life will not be sure, and when trials come, it's going to crumble. That's essentially what he says. I'll have you look at it for yourself. Matthew 7, verse number 24. At the end of this, and this is all in reference to his Sermon on the Mount, verse number 24, 7, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So these, this Sermon on the Mount is of vital importance. The whole Bible is, but the Sermon on the Mount is as well. And sandwiched right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is this section on prayer. And Jesus is giving new information to his audience. So I want us to cover this small section on prayer. Chapter 6, verse number 1, to get the context. What is Jesus saying before he gets to prayer? This is vitally important for my life. What is, what is uh, Jesus saying? So verse number 1 of chapter 6. The Bible says this. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying is that correct actions with improper motives do not please God. That you can do the right thing. You can give alms. That's a good thing. You're giving money to the poor. But you're doing it to be seen of men. You're doing it so that they'll glory in you. So they'll say, Atta boy, man, that's, man, they're giving deep. I heard you gave how much to the Stokes? 2000 Wow. That's, when that's your motive and that's your goal is to be seen of men and that they would glory in you, he says, you have your reward. That's, that's an improper motive. You're not going to get anything from God on that. You already have your cookie. So the end. And he continues this out. He talks in terms of alms, and he's going to continue. Verse number three, When thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So don't just, here's how not to do it, but here's how also to do it. 
Then he starts talking the same subject in terms of prayer. And he says, verse number five, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And Thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So same verbiage just applied to prayer now that if you, you can have the right actions, you can do the right things, but if you have the wrong motive, then you're not going to get a reward from God. Then he's displeased with that. Now, to be clear, some have taken this verse and said, you should only pray in your closet. You cannot let anybody see it. You know, Mark, earlier you prayed before your message and we're all sitting here. We're, we all heard you. That was far less than private. That, that's not okay. Okay. That is not what the Lord is saying. He's talking about motives. The, the New Testament is filled with mandates that we should not be closet Christians, so to speak, that no one knows you're a Christian, that you're not a witness, that you're not salt and light and giving the gospel. The New Testament is filled with mandates to be salt and light so that they may see your, your, uh, that they may see your good works, glorify your Father which is in heaven, that you should witness. So to be clear, that's not what the Lord is saying, but he is saying, your motive should not be to be seen of men. It should be to be seen of God. He continues, and he's going to elaborate a little bit further. And he's going to say that correct words with insincere hearts do not please God. Verse number 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, I find it largely ironic that Jesus prefaces the Our Fathers, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. He literally prefaces it directly with, do not use vain repetition and repeat this vainly. So I find it ironic that if there's any passage of Scripture in all of the Bible that has been repeated vainly, repetitiously, for no reason, it's this one. So you have to understand the context before you get there, that Jesus, he specifically forbade this. He said, don't do this. You can have all the right words, but if it's insincere and it's just vain babbling and it's just over and over again, it's doing you no good. It's, it's pointless that your heart and your motive and your desire is much more important than the actual words that you are saying. And he's going to elaborate a little further. And he says, part of the reason of this is because God knows everything. Therefore, when you go to him, you're not going to surprise him with your requests. Look in verse number eight. He's continuing this thought. Don't use vain repetition. Don't be as the heathen are. Don't do this. Be not ye therefore like unto them. So why should I not? Because your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. He already knows. He is omniscient. You're not going to surprise Him with this. Now, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is doing what I would love to do with you over the next 10 weeks that he is shaping his audience's theological foundation. He's helping them to see God in a clearer way and he's, and he's giving them a direct application of this that because God is omniscient and he knows everything, he already knows what you're going to ask. So you repeating it over and over again vainly like if I say it 50 times, it'll have more credence than if I say it one time or, or that I need to, I'm going to surprise him with my request. No, understand who the Father is. Understand he's God. He's omniscient. He knows all. So 
you're not going to shock him with what you bring to him. The psalmist writes and says something similar to this in, in Psalm 139, that, O Lord, thou hast searched me and what? Known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down. Look, you're all around me, God. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. God, you're all around me. You know me. You know my thoughts. You know my words. God, you know me because you're God. You're the Lord. And this has a, do you see the theological underpinning that Jesus is giving the model prayer as he talks about the Father and says, look, I'm going in a moment to tell you who to address. You need to address the Father, but you need to know a little something about the Father. You need to know that he's omniscient and that he knows everything, and you're not going to surprise him. You're not going to walk into God. This would be helpful if some of you just grasp this. You're not going to walk into God and shock his socks off. Okay? You're not going to go to God. The Stokes are not going to go to God next week and say, Lord, we have a need of $45,000, and God go, what? I, I had no idea. Dia, like let me, angels, get over here. Start, we we got to get on this right now. You're not doing that. You're not, okay, here's a, maybe a little more valid one. You're not going to go to God and tell God, God, I'm struggling. I got a problem. I have a sin and I can't get over it and I need victory and I need help. And God go, really? I did I didn't know you were like that. I, I didn't know you had that sin stuff in your life. I didn't get away. No. You're not, you can't do that with God. He knows. And so this does not push us away from God and repel us from him in the thought of, well, God already knows. Why do I need to ask him? You know, all right? You know everything, just give it. No. It pushes us to him. If you've ever given two weeks' notice at your job, you know what this is like, okay? What happens when you give you two weeks? You go into your boss, you tell them it's the middle of the shift, and you walk out, and all of a sudden, it's real awkward with all your coworkers. Why? Because you're thinking, do they know why I went in there and what I told him? Do they? And the next day, you show up to work, and you're thinking, did he send out an email? Did he communicate to them? When they talk about this project, do they know I'm not actually going to be here to help with this project? And then... They start to talk, and you're thinking, I don't know, should I tell them? I don't want to be, like, boasting, like, ah, I'm out of here, deuces, you know, have fun, I'm, I'm going to go do my, it's really awkward until, until the coworker's like, hey, heard you were leaving, man. Then all of a sudden, what can you do? You can open up. You can talk, yeah, you know, this has been, I've been thinking about this for a while, this is a big step, I don't know how this other job's going to, all of a sudden, things open up, and the communication is easy. Why? Because you know they know. That's what Jesus is saying. No, your father, you, you don't have to barrage him in machine gun heaven so that he knows what you need. You can, he already knows. So you can go to him with the heart of God. I know you know I need this. Lord, you know I'm a mess. Lord, you know I don't know how to cope with this. God, you know I need help. You know, and that pushes us to him. It, 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 gets us deeper into prayer and into our relationship with him. Why? Because we understand he knows everything, which means he knows about me, so I don't have to be ashamed. I'm not going to let God see behind the curtain of my life, and he's going to be shocked all of a sudden. He knows. And Jesus starts with this, 
look, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think that they're going to be heard or that that's somehow going to get them something with God. But he already knows. He, he understands you. He wants to talk to you. At the very least, I think that this teaches us a, another lesson, and that's you take verses 7 and 8. These verses have to call for simplicity, directness, and sincerity in our prayers. They have to. Jesus is, is getting them off the hook, so to speak. That you don't have to spend pointless time repeating things redundantly to get credit with me. That you can just come with a sincere heart, simply and directly, and you can go to the Father and you can, you can talk to Him. You can have a relationship with Him. Here's some of you have told yourselves this, and it'd be great this morning if you just let yourself off the hook and you let guilt just run out the back door. You've told yourself that for me to have a prayer life, I have to have an hour of dedicated time where my mind is just utterly and completely focused on the Lord and does not wander at all, and it is just heaven came down and glory filled my bedroom because I had an hour, and, and I, I know I, that's unreasonable. I can't do that, so I may as well not do anything. Some of you have bought into that, that it has to be so profound and so glorious and so over the top that if I can't, and I'm for that, okay? I would love for you to have an hour of undevoted mind, heaven come down. I would love that. But some of you thought, think that if I don't do that, then I may as well not do anything. And, and at the very least, these verses are teaching us that our prayer life can be a simple, direct, sincere of we can take five minutes at the end of our service and get a lot done with God. That in five minutes' time, you can, he can fix your heart. He can speak to you and you can speak back to him and you can leave here different because you just spent a little bit of time with him. Am I, am I saying don't spend a lot of time with God? No, not at all. But I'm saying don't let that dissuade you from spending some time with the Lord in a sincere, direct way of, of Lord, help me. I need to come to you and I need you to, to be involved in my life. That if, if your prayer life is dead, they just start somewhere. Take a few minutes every day and just sincerely, from the heart, pray. Start today. We're going to do it here in just a few minutes. Invest in those five minutes. Don't let your mind wander, but hone in on it. Work on it. Sincerely, go to the Lord. And then he says, verse number nine, after this manner, therefore pray ye. And this is, this is the linchpin to it all. What is Jesus saying when he's saying, after this manner, therefore pray you? He already said, don't repeat these words, vain repetition redundantly. Jesus is saying, it's not pray these words, it's pray this way. Now, can we pray these words? Sure, that's appropriate. But he's not saying, here are the words that you have to pray at the end. He's saying, after this manner, Here's the way to pray. If Jesus is saying, pray these words, then we can save ourselves 10 weeks' time. And I can just say, memorize those words, go pray them, and we'll call it a day. We don't have to, we don't have to elaborate on it at all. We don't have to pray those words. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying this manner. And Jesus is not giving his disciples this uh, small portion of Scripture that they have to slavishly repeat. He's giving them a, um, a way, a model, a manner here is the, here's the blueprint of, of what your prayer life should be like. And he's teaching them transferable principles that can shape how we converse with the Father. 
I'm going to repeat that because that's important. Jesus is teaching his audience. Here are some transferable principles that you can take and use to how to converse with God. So this is applicable to them, but it's just as applicable to us. This passage of Scripture here that the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, has shaped so many Christians' prayer lives over the centuries. I mean, uh, Christian fathers that are in all the Christian history books. You can look at Augustine or Luther or Calvin or all kinds of people that their prayer life was based off of this, after this model, because Jesus said, here's the manner. Here's the model. Here's the way to do this. So it's, it's important and paramount for us as we begin a conversation on prayer that over the next eight, nine weeks that we look at this model and we understand it biblically and fully in, in what Jesus was saying and what he was not saying. And this is paramount for us to shape our own prayer lives. Uh, if you've adopted or heard different acrostics, you should pray this way, this way, this way. Okay, fine, whatever. Maybe they helped you, but there's, there's, there's one way and Jesus gives it to us here. This is the model. This is the method. This is what should pray, teach and shape your prayer lives. So my ask for you as a church family simply is this, that over the next couple months, we'll take a break on Easter, and Easter will be different. We won't be in this a couple weeks from now, but over the next couple months as we approach this passage, that you would approach it with a heart of, Lord, I know I could use an upgrade. I know that I need some help. Teach me. Help me. Grow me in, in little baby steps. Lord, help me to see you more clearly. As the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. My, my ask for you is that you would approach Sunday morning with how can we learn and how can we be shaped and, and what can the Lord do and that you'd even come with a heart prepared to spend a little bit of time praying yourselves. I put on the back of your connection card this week, they're on the back of the bulletin too, that there's a couple of passages I would love for you to study and to read this week to, as we uh, launch into our Father which art in heaven next week that you would read 1 John 3 or Galatians 4, these passages that talk about the adoption and that we marvel that we can be called the sons of God and, and some of the biblical underpinning for, for just that topic that we'll cover next week. But I hope that we can approach the next couple months with, Lord, help us, grow us, teach us. I don't have it all figured out. I've been around church. I've prayed a lot of prayers. But, Lord, I, I know that I need some help and I need to be shaped and that we would be individuals, families, a church body that comes together and that we learn together what it is to really pray.